This week's episode contains binaural recordings. Listen with headphones if you can. Sounds curious. Welcome back to the Sounds Curious podcast. Oh my gosh, podcast listeners, it has been a minute, especially when you consider that I left off with part one of an episode that I am just now finishing months later. This has been due in part to just the insanity of running an arts startup in the middle of a bustling and ever-changing city, uh, Berlin, uh, just yesterday, celebrated 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall, so it has had an interesting, uh, ripple effect in the city. There's been lots going on, and it was quite difficult over the summer to record in my flat perched high atop Straße because there was a lot of construction. There was a new highway coming in, not too far from the flat, a building going up, and they were working on the tram tracks right in the front of my space. So if uh, the windows were open, which they sort of had to be 24 hours a day in the warm summer we had, it uh, was incredibly difficult to get any kind of recording. So now that the weather has turned and things are chillier and 
the windows are much more often closed, it is much easier to get back to recording. So very good to be back with you, my Sound Curious podcast listeners. Things have been quite curious around here, and I've been really interested in getting back to the subject of ASMR and acoustic intimacy. Anyway, as you remember from way back when in part one of this episode, ASMR stands for an Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. That means a physical sensation, a tingly, um, a kind of, uh, sometimes it's referred to as a frisson. Um, It's essentially a kind of physical reaction that you have to certain kinds of recorded sound. Now, obviously here at Sounds Curious, recorded sound is incredibly fascinating. And I certainly, when I record my voice, I generally tend to use um, a microphone that's not necessarily intended for spoken word. Right now, I'm actually recording into a Rhodes NT1, which is often used for vocals, but it does preserve a lot of the idiosyncrasies of my own voice. As a musician who has had to listen to my own recordings for a long time, I know that I have a number of vocal characteristics that are, in general, not everybody's cup of tea. For instance, my S's. Oh, my S's have a very strong sibilance. And I do tend to pop my my P's and my what we call plosive consonants. So... There's a lot of extraneous detail in my vocal recordings, if you will, that I try and preserve in some ways because those are the kinds of things that give a voice its unique character. And when we're talking about ASMR, certainly the way in which I have to moderate the dynamics of my voice into this microphone Um, I don't throw compression on it when I'm recording. I try and record things uh, as straight and pure as I can. The reason that I do that is so that I can retain as much of the stray noise and, yeah, even these undesirable characteristics, my sibilance and my plosives, so that you get a sense of actually being here when you listen to my voice. That is certainly it would seem a big attraction in at least vocal ASMR recordings. Now, it seems like every day there are new genres of ASMR recordings, artists, and videos out in all sorts of platforms. Just on YouTube, there are role-playing ASMR, non-spoken ASMR, eating and food ASMR, Even, as I discovered since last episode, uh, caring boyfriend and caring girlfriend ASMR, really audio experiences that encourage us to imagine a kind of intimate relationship with the content creator, with the artist. Now, as I mentioned about my own vocal recording, Part of the reason that I'm trying to capture as much of the idiosyncrasies of my voice as I can is so that you really get the sense that you are here. And it's this concept, this idea of acoustic intimacy 
that I rely on often when I'm creating the podcast. So in creating Sounds Curious, I'm very interested in drawing you in to a sonic world. And that is something that ASMR has relied on from the beginning in a way to create or co-create an experience with the audience, which is a really interesting way of thinking about recorded sound, that it is a service, if you will, or a uh, it's providing a kind of benefit for stress reduction and sleep, for loneliness, and for Um, In essence, anytime someone is interested in feeling like they are in the presence of someone because of a recorded sound. So from the podcast point of view, this is an extra interesting uh, concept and certainly something that we exploit here. So I'm interested in talking a little bit more about why it is that we go for ASMR, or at least the people who have an ASMR response are very much interested in it, and why from a critical and theoretical point of view in terms of a musicological or a sound studies approach, why it is that we consume so much of this right now, given our contemporary audio culture and the ways in which we now consume audio on the whole, much more privately, much more as a personal experience, and certainly given the opening of this episode, um, which told you to listen with headphones if you can, because this uh, episode contains binaural recordings, certainly binaural recordings in and of themselves have become an incredible part of this enormous amount of both in quality and quantity, uh, ASMR content that's being served up regularly and the millions of consumers who are listening to it regularly and supporting these channels and these artists. So again, one of the first things that we need to talk about when we talk about ASMR and the culture that's sprung up around it is the concept of a trigger. Now, trigger has become a very interesting word in recent decades. Um, We most often associate it now with a kind of... um, violence that is done when people who have um, suffered some kind of trauma are re-triggered, if you will, by hearing about that trauma or experiencing it through media, in classrooms, things like that. And I'm not going to spend too much time on the definition of that and how that functions, There's a lot of interesting discussions about the concept of triggering and how it's become a force in 
well, mainstream culture as well as audio culture in some ways. On the one hand, triggers are a very common concept in ASMR and people are looking for certain kinds of triggers. Eating videos or tapping videos are common kinds of auditory triggers that people find particularly restful or relaxing. They give them a physical response that really helps them relax. Um, When we think about triggers in terms of the larger culture, it's very much about a kind of reenactment of trauma. So it's interesting that on the flip side, ASMR is offering triggers as a method of relaxation. If you're interested in more discussion on the concept of triggers in society, there's some interesting work done by Jack Halberstam over um, in an article called You Are Triggering Me. Um, and that's from bully bloggers um, and I'll put the information about that in the show notes Um, but essentially Jack's article is about uh, uh, well the subtitle the neoliberal rhetoric of harm danger and trauma so there is um, a stream of triggers in contemporary society that is dealing with uh, a kind of cultural Uh, zeitgeist around trauma, recovery, um, re-traumatization, etc. And at the same time, ASMR is offering up millions and millions of very specific kinds of triggers in order to help the people who listen to them relax, unwind, feel connected, feel happy and safe, and have a physical reaction of relaxation and calmness in response to the audio recording. When I think about um, classical music in general, there has always been, at least on the part of individual accounts of listening to classical music or listening to um, say a requiem mass in a cathedral or something, there have always been accounts of people getting the chills of people feeling transcendent. So the idea of audio being used to change one's mood, uh, to create a kind of intense physical, mental, and emotional response has always been present with us um, and is present in most cultures around the world. What's unique about ASMR is that it is really foregrounding a kind of one-on-one sort of listening, um, private listening done in your home on a YouTube channel or in your earbuds, say when you're on your way home from work on the bus or something. The idea being that it's a personal audio experience that's designed to give you a kind of physical response. Now, of course, that said, there is an immediate association because of the sensory part of ASMR with pornography. And that certainly shouldn't surprise us. Any new technology, any new art form in general finds its way. um, Well, pornography with technology generally tends to discover it first. But there is a way in which, of course, the properties of that new technology or that new communication style 
can be particularly exploited by that industry and certainly the sensual nature of ASMR is easily mapped onto sexuality and there are ASMR pornographic materials that are also distributed and given the response that one has, the chills, the kind of tingling that one has to ASMR, it certainly makes sense. But I want to really emphasize that the vast majority of really what appears to be in uh, available in terms of ASMR audio has more to do with a kind of intimacy that the recordings themselves make. So we're going to listen a little bit to a few examples that are really drawn from different kinds of triggers, quote unquote, and talk a little bit about how each different kind um, tends to emphasize a different area of sensory meridian response and also seems to have generated a different audience, a different crowd, um, different kinds of people using it for different kinds of things. What nonetheless remains central to all of this is that recorded sound is being used in a way that was really not a focus um, 20 years ago. It has really emerged as a kind of uh, acoustic phenomenon in recent decades, especially as microphone technology and recorded sound has become much more easily accessible by end users. We now have access to much more high quality microphones, spatialized microphones, binaural microphones. The prices have come down enormously, as well as all these amazing ways of distributing sound, podcasts, YouTube channels, SoundCloud, all of those things have really created a proliferation in millions and millions of these examples floating around in the world and millions and millions of users who are enjoying them. watched those ASMR videos on YouTube, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But in this case, I'm going to be eating some chips, and I will be 
doing other things as well. The clock is going to be ticking. I really can't help that because that's how I keep time. But anyway, enjoy. So I really had to break in on that last one. And it gives us a good opportunity to talk about another related topic. But those ASMR examples were from freesound.org. They were all labeled as ASMR and uh, the recordings were intended as such. And the last one contained obviously uh, some whispering, which is a very popular ASMR trigger and as well as some eating and the eating was the one that I have trouble with um I have uh, the sort of opposite reaction to ASMR which is a pleasurable response to sound uh, certain sounds for me trigger the opposite meaning a very irritated irrationally sometimes enraged response Two certain sounds. Um, one of them is absolutely the sound of eating. So the millions of audio recordings of people crunching on carrots and crunching on chips and eating celery and crackers and all the pleasure that some people find in those is wasted on me as a listener. I become very uh, agitated and I need to move away from that sound as quickly as possible. The same is true of certain other random sounds. Um, the sound of water bottles crinkling, um, especially in quiet lecture halls or concerts, uh, or even just sometimes in a plane uh, or in a quiet waiting room can just be absolutely impossible to stand. And I think that it demonstrates in some ways uh, the power of that negative response for me indicates uh, the strength that the response can have, of course, in the opposite direction in giving people physical pleasure. Now, the reason that I'm so interested in this particular topic, in addition to the fact that I often use certain kinds of vocal recordings that do create ASMR responses is also because of what it says about the nature of recorded sound. Now, in the podcast we've talked before, particularly in the episodes around Isabella Van Elfren's interview, go back and listen to that, um, and Spectral Sound Art. There's a few um, haunted field recordings. There are many, many early episodes that deal with spectrality here, and that is because... As Van Elfren says in her book, uh, Gothic Music, sound suggests the uncanny because it 
suggest presence where there is none. So when sound is present, there is no physical or visible or quote-unquote tangible presence, but there is something present. That particular aspect of sound, particularly recorded sound, uh, is very easy to associate with the spectral. So in the way that the philosopher and economist, political economist Jacques Derrida defines spectral, meaning a kind of presence and absence at once. So sound is both present and absent. Music has an amazing ability to trigger memory and physical response, certain harmonic changes, certain orchestrations, use of certain instruments, has an almost immediate and very powerful response on many of us. And so with recorded sound, when we find it having a particularly potent effect on us, Well, at least for me, that makes me quite curious about how that is expressed in all aspects of sound, music, and recordings. So I'm very interested in ASMR and its relationship to the spectrality of recorded sound, the haunting of recorded sound, if you will. Of course, we've talked about the fact that all audio recordings are displacements in time that you are hearing the past. You are not listening to this podcast as I record it on a Sunday afternoon in Berlin. You will hear it perhaps days, weeks, months, or years in the future, which means that you're automatically listening to a very particular time and place in the past. All of the recordings that I'm featuring are also from the past and from previous to my recording of this today. So there's layers of history automatically in this podcast episode. Of course, the places, the environments in which these recordings were made, be they studio recordings or field recordings, and the ways in which they were recorded, all of those technical aspects also reinforce this response which I think, in part, is due to the very artifacts of recording, the ways in which recorded sound has become emblematic or symbolic or suggestive of time and place for our ears. Those of us who are listening to ASMR, who hear the ways in which the recorded artifacts of using certain kinds of microphones is really triggering physical responses. We've, in general, grown up with recorded sound. It's always been with us, and even more so, the personal listening of recorded sound through devices that we can carry with us, through earphones that lend us personal listening, It's as if many of our hauntings have become quite personal. Add to that a shift in culture in which many are spending more and more time working. Many are spending more and more time on the road during commutes and things like that. And so we do more and more personal listening with our devices as we travel through the world. And a physical response to a video or audio like ASMR re embodies us 
in reference to that sound, meaning we feel a physicality, a physical connection to that sound, one that is equally as intimate as our listening experience. Most ASMR really functions through headphones. The closeness, the intimacy of that listening experience is what generates the physical response that we have. And if we're looking for physical responses, the closer the sound production is to our ears, the stronger it's going to be. The late composer and deep listening founder, Pauline Oliveros, whom we've discussed on the podcast before, would often pose interesting questions about listening in her keynotes. For instance, wondering what it would be like to be a grasshopper who listens through their knees, wondering what it would be like to listen through one's feet. And I think those questions indicate or reveal a real desire for intimacy within the act of listening itself new ways of being present to sound and sound stimulus in our environment. And when we think about listening and its function in human survival as a species, our ability to listen, while certainly not as good as many of our animal brethren, we certainly have used listening, hearing our ears as primary focal points for language, for communication and for awareness of our environment. Now that's not to say that people without the sense of hearing don't do those things as well. They're simply different. But because we're talking about ASMR and the act of listening today, it makes sense to focus in on that. So recorded sound and its spectrality, the concept of that has very much been accompanied by the transmission of media into the home. And that has happened through televisions and radios and of course the internet. So as we've had more and more personal channels to choose from, personal amounts of content to choose from in our society, it's very interesting that we've returned to such a primal sense Again, Pauline, in addition to asking these questions about different kinds of listening, would talk about the very peculiar way in which sound is received in the human body, that many sounds bypass our cognitive functions and go straight into our brainstem. An excellent example of that is is a jump scare in a film or how your body responds to a startling noise behind you. You simply didn't think about it. You responded long before you knew what you were doing. And so there's a way in which sound can get into our brain functions before we have a chance to think about it. And as a result, has a kind of uncanny power to affect us. And I think the content that ASMR is generating is a really interesting commentary on how this sense functions in our social landscape as human individuals who crave a kind of variety of communication forms with other humans, but who also want very sensory 
experiences with that content that are quite personal, quite physical, and quite intimate. It says a lot that in this age of proliferation, we've really been able to generate almost every kind of content that one can imagine in order to create stress relief. A respite, if you will, from all the content that's available. And so ASMR is a is an interesting moment to reflect on recorded sound, its roles and functions in history, the amazing proliferation in recording technologies that can give us ever more intimate recordings, and the proliferation in distribution so that we can get those to individual listeners much more quickly. All of these things have a lot to say about the role and function of recorded sound in our lives. And certainly as our societies change around the digital revolution, that impact has every indication of growing rather than diminishing.
So I'm going to cut in on that last track, which is actually a bit of sound art that was performed here at the Willow's Nest uh, over the summer by a collective. I will include all of the information on that performance and all of the recordings in the show notes over at BansheeMedia.com. And we'll actually be migrating that website into a new host. So if at some point uh, it goes down in coming weeks, uh, it will be very temporary um, as we reconcile things. But BansheeMedia.com is always going to be the place to find the show notes for this podcast. Anyway, the sound art gives me an opportunity to talk about the last aspect of ASMR, which really interests me and uh, that I'm interested in highlighting for this episode, which is essentially how the notion of intimacy is really dependent upon the space. Now, I am speaking very close to a microphone, and when you listen to it in your headphones, your ears will essentially be the same distance from my voice as the microphone. That's kind of how recorded sound works. It brings your ears to places where your ears were not. Again, another sort of spectral aspect of sound we've dealt with in the podcast before. The idea that in binaural recordings or spatialized recordings, our ears get to travel in the form of that microphone into spaces they have never been. In essence, we get to haunt those spaces with our presence, absence. Um, It's as if our ears are hanging in the air, um, allowed to listen through this technological mediation into other places and times that they simply were not. So, I don't think there's a way to underestimate how much this particular phenomenon, this ability to listen in to other places and times, the way that it sparked the imagination seems to have influenced ASMR in many ways. This idea that we can imagine ourselves in a caring situation where someone is caring for us in the form of a doctor or a nurse or something, ASMR provides that opportunity. Or again, the aforementioned rabbit hole of the caring boyfriend, caring girlfriend, caring partner, ASMR roleplay. The whole notion of ASMR roleplay in general, allowing us to listen in on situations and be present, if you will, even if it is as ghosts whose ears are really represented by the microphones in that scenario. We are allowing ourselves to imagine being in those spaces. That is particularly true of binaural recordings and in particular binaural field recordings. 
Uh, the one that's underneath me right now is from a forest in Finland with ice and snowfall. And I was not there. And you were not there. But together, in this moment, we get to be there. Through the technological mediation of recorded sound. Spatialization, the idea of sound occupying space is oddly foregrounded in ASMR videos by the ways in which those sounds are recorded very close to the microphone to minimize the distance, the literal and figurative distance between the ear of the listener and the sound generator itself, be that our voice, the bag of chips, the ice and snow, our footsteps on the snowy ground. Now in the last example, the sound art that I played, that spatialization, the way the sound travels around the space, and the way many of the musicians are trying to foreground the stray noise, the ways in which the timbres of their instruments rub against each other, and then in one case actually playing the physical space, rubbing wooden blocks on the wooden floor and amplifying that sound. All of those things are very reminiscent of ASMR in the ways in which the timbres of the sounds, the noise, the the grit, if you will, of the sound is really carried through in the performance. And sound art is one of those ways in which this phenomenon enters performance culture and contemporary musical culture. After all, we don't confuse ASMR videos and triggers with music, even though many of the physical responses have already been seen in music, as we've discussed before, and many kinds of music from around the globe. So ASMR has really foregrounded the qualities of sound, and in particular recorded sound, and those things in turn have really been emphasized or brought out in contemporary sound art performance. One of the recordings that I played earlier was entirely digitally generated, even though it was listed as ASMR, which is usually recorded live with a microphone using these special techniques. So if ASMR has taught us to listen to certain kinds of sounds because they generate a physical response, a kind of tingling and release, that in turn has broadened our ears to new kinds of sound art which are emphasizing these properties. The ways in which recorded sound or processed sound in a space can have a physical response on the listener. And those things have be really become proliferated through contemporary sound art. Certainly spatialization, immersion, technologies have proliferated in both audio centers and end users can now really have access to things like Kima sound and ambisonics and spatialization much more regularly. So the humble ASMR video, an interesting opportunity to think about how recorded sound has interacted with culture has driven certain things 
and given rise to entirely new markets of audio consumers. So the next time you listen to sound art, music, really, the next time you walk in the woods and find yourself listening to the sound of the snow crunching under your feet, it may in large part be due to this audio phenomenon which has really encouraged us to listen in new ways. I have to think Pauline would really like that. Anyway, we'll catch you next time. Hopefully much sooner than the last. And thanks again for all your patience waiting for this part two as I waited for the ground-shaking construction to finish outside of my apartment. So we'll catch you soon.